You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr of CoconutsAndKettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And this is episode number 345. I am thrilled you're here because today's discussion is rare in the health world. If you're struggling with unexplained symptoms like anxiety or fatigue, brain fog, depression, even hormone imbalances, or you have a chronic illness that seems incredibly hard to manage and you just can't figure out what's going on. Today, I'm going to be speaking with toxic mold, biotoxin, and chronic illness specialist, Dr. Lauren Tessier. We're going to dive deep into how mold and other things can impact chronic illness, and how to know if what you're dealing with is because of mold or something else. Mold isn't traditionally a sexy topic because it's complicated and it's truthfully it's missed by so many practitioners. But what we're going to be talking about today is not only fascinating, it can also greatly impact your health long term. So I'm really excited to ask all of your questions and get to the bottom of mold and mycotoxins with Dr. Lauren. Before we dive in, if you're not supplementing with electrolytes, you should be, especially if you're working out a few times a week, you sweat frequently, or you're following a whole foods diet. So electrolytes are crucial for proper hydration, and we lose them through sweat and when we go to the bathroom. And when you follow a whole foods diet, naturally low in sodium, it's kind of like a one-two punch. So most people think hydration is just about how much water you drink. But electrolytes, so minerals like sodium, chloride, potassium, and magnesium, play a huge role. So water absorption in the body is dependent upon the presence of electrolytes, which is why if you're low in electrolytes, you'll feel really terrible and fatigued. You also may experience dizziness, leg cramps, headaches, and even hormone imbalances because low sodium levels actually spike adrenal hormones like cortisol. The best of the best when it comes to electrolyte supplementation is Element. That's Element T. They make grab-and-go electrolyte replacement supplementation. You just take an Element recharge packet, mix it up with water, and sip on it. There's absolutely no sugar, gluten, fillers, artificial ingredient artificial ingredients, and it's paleo-friendly. I personally use Element daily. So I started using it just on workout days, but I had an epiphany. (laughs) I just drink a ton of water, and I never feel like I can get enough. And I don't necessarily notice that on workout days. So a few weeks back, I was actually really struggling. I had a headache. I just felt like I was drinking a ton of water, and I just felt like I needed something more. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you're just like, ah, I'm not hungry, but I feel like depleted, and I just I'm drinking all this water, and I just don't know what to do. So I had I was like, maybe I should just drink some Element, (laughs) see how that goes. Sure enough, I had a sip of some Element, and my headache went away. I didn't feel as drained and fatigued, and I wasn't as thirsty. Like, I didn't have to drink a ton of water to feel 
like not dehydrated. So y'all, it makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, and w- one of the things I love about Element is that they do allow you to have, they have so many different flavors. And what they're doing for us is allowing free sample packs. So you can get a free eight pack and try all the flavors and just see how it goes. It's drink element. So drink the word drink and then elementy.com forward slash well-fed. All you have to do is pay shipping for that sample box. These are great to have in your car. They're great to have for kids. They're great to have when you're sick. They're great for just general day-to-day life if you're working out. That's, again, drinkelementy.com slash well-fed. Click get yours and then grab yourself some of the packets. And you actually get to try watermelon salt in this sample packet now, which is my favorite flavor, that and raspberry. Um, And then if you've already ordered the sample pack and you want to order more, just go to that link and then buy three boxes and you'll get one free. Again, that's drinkelement.com slash wellfed. Now let's bring on Dr. Lauren. Dr. Lauren Tessier is a practicing naturopathic physician licensed by the state of Vermont. Her practice, Life After Mold in Waterbury, Vermont, is the East Coast only formerly certified CIRS literate naturopathic practice. Life After Mold Services those suffering from multi-symptom, multi-system illness complicated by comorbid conditions such as multiple chemical sensitivity, mast cell activation syndrome, and chronic infections, including Lyme and co-infections, so things like Epstein-Barr, CMV, and more. Tessier serves clients all over the world via in-office medical care through educational wellness consults. I will um, make sure to link to her practice and and all of her links in the show notes. She also provides one-on-one private training for practitioners looking to improve upon their mold literate clinical skills, which I think is really huge. Um, Her website is lifeaftermold.com. Welcome, Dr. Lauren. Oh, I'm so happy to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, uh, most people don't say, I want to become a doctor and I want to specialize in mold and mycotoxins. So talk to me about your own personal experience with mold and chronic illness and why it became so important to you to help people suffering with mold illness and why you decided to dive into this, what seems to be a really complex and hard to understand topic. Right. Well, how much time do we have? We have like 10 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So I, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I feel like there are times in your life where uh, maybe this might be, you know, whatever to some people, but I feel like the universe will just hold up a really big sign. (laughs) So we'll be like, go this way. Mm -hmm. And um, there, there's been a quite a few signs uh, that have been held up for me over time, both with a family illness when I was younger. An uncle of mine had a really severe autoimmune condition that he ultimately passed from. And it was only in looking back on it over the years uh, that we realized he was in a moldy space. He was living in a, in a moldy apartment. And he was my favorite uncle, you know, like sometimes you just have those family members that you just beam when you think about. And I had such a wonderful childhood relationship with him. So it was a really substantial loss. And there was always a um, a feeling in the back of my head, well, if I could put two and two together or figure it out or do this and do that, I, you know, I could, I could, you know, make a difference or make an impact. So that was always kind of back there. And then um, once I got to Vermont, I realized that while I was operating in a primary care role, there was quite a few clients who just weren't getting better with the typical naturopathic 
interventions for like fatigue and brain fog. And then lo and behold, one day it was like, well, where do you spend the most time in your home? Oh, in your office basement. Oh, didn't you guys have a flood like three or four years ago? (laughs) You know, Mm. so um, you started to see maybe mold could be um, a, a key component. And once I really turned over that rock, um, I realized that there was just such a lack of education in not only naturopathic medical school, to be frank with you, but also, you know, all other forms of health schools, health and medical schools. So that started really my, my um, long and winding road of investigating mold illness and learning about mold illness. And of course, during that time, I happened to bump into my own issues with mold in my living space and became very humbled to it. So firsthand experience here of more or less everything I see with my clients. So yeah, quite a few signs from the universe being like, hey, pay attention, go this way. This is your thing. (laughs) Do this. Right. So I think the big and most obvious question here is what exactly is mold and how does it differ from mycotoxins? Right. And that's a great question. And I really uh, applaud that, that you bring that up because I think some people hear that and they go, yeah, 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 whatever. But it's really important because it allows you to understand how you're going to approach a case. The mold is the organism. It is multicellular, meaning lots of little cells. And then there's yeasts, which are single cellular. Both of those are a type of fungi. Right. So in our in our in our kingdoms, we have the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom and the fungi kingdom. And so the fungi kingdom is this whole big, broad space of these organisms, either multicellular, many cells or single cellular. These cells move through the world, chewing up things that are carbon based for their energy source. And that can be anything from plant matter to dust dander, debris, all that kind of stuff. So whenever we have mold in an area that has those organic uh, carbon-based things that they can chew on, if you give them the right amount of moisture and the right temperature, they will grow. They will grow. And so the mold itself is the organism and the mycotoxins are what they produce. They're exactly what they sound like, myco meaning, you know, mushroom, fungi, and toxin, the toxin. So they are these tiny little chemicals that are very, very fat soluble. And that means that if we all think back to basic chemistry, like dissolves like, that's why oil and vinegar separate, you know? So if you mix a fat, fatty substance into a fatty substance, they're going to bind together. And it turns out that mycotoxins tend to get stored away easily in any type of fatty tissues in the body. So the mycotoxins have a toxic effect, whereas the mold makes the mycotoxins, but we can also have health issues related to just the mold as the organism itself. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So would it be like an allergy to the mold or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would be an allergy, right? And so I kind of... um, let people think about uh, the idea that it's it's the chunks, the dried out chunks of the mold organism that actually trigger those allergic reactions. So it has to be in the environment. Could theoretically you have an allergic reaction to 
a mold that's in your body, sure. But usually when we think allergy, we think of outside of the environment. The other way that the mold organism can interact with the body outside of allergy is through infection or colonization. So infection, it used to be so rare. It used to be only people who are immunocompromised, so they didn't have the best immune system. Um, and historically, people with cancer, with HIV, um, and AIDS, and all of these issues where the immune system just isn't operating in its optimal form. And so what would happen is these fungi would take over and grow these really um, problematic infections, deadly infections even. And so for such a long time, it was, oh, uh, fungal infections are rare. You know, they only happen in a handful of people. Well, that's A, a slap in the face to those handful of people. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, we we do have fungi that um, have been starting to develop in, uh, infections in competent people, people with a, a competent immune system, a healthy immune system. Um, and it's all over the news. And we're seeing it more and more. Um, and that really comes about as a result of the, the antifungals that we put on our food, the antifungals that we put on our building materials, the antifungals that we potentially use too much in a medical setting. So we have this growing infection issue, but a lot of these molds also exist as a part of our microbiome, right? Our microbiome isn't just bacteria, it's viruses, it is fungi, and it's even single-celled little parasites and protozoa and amoeba and that kind of stuff. So the Allergy is one, and then the infection slash colonization is the other. And here's the thing. You can have an infection in the body or colonization that does secrete mycotoxins. It happens. So if you step back, you see, okay, four major ways that mold interacts with the body. Allergy, infection colonization, mycotoxin exposure, because now you're looking at the toxic impact the same way like um, lead exposure or heavy metals would have a toxic impact. And then um, the final way that we really see mold interacting with the immune system is in an inflammatory way. And some people kind of chalk that up to the concept of SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which was developed by uh, Richie Shoemaker in the 90s. So a lot of people kind of rush into this concept of mold exposure or I'm sick from mold or I, I have mold in my body. And it's like, I, I'm so happy that people are putting two and two together and thinking about it and bringing it to the forefront. But then we just have to stop and take pause and say, okay, let's think about, is this an allergic reaction, an infection colonization? Is it a toxic exposure or are we having a severe inflammatory reaction? So those tend to be kind of the, the major ways that mold really interacts with the human body. That fourth way, the severe inflammatory reaction, is that to the mold and the mycotoxins, or how, what are you? What's the inflammation res, or what's what's causing that inflammatory response? It's it's a little bit of both. Um, there is the idea um, that in chronic inflammatory response syndrome, I use a concept of a bonfire, right? You stack up the wood, you potentially pour on gasoline, you light the match. The gasoline burns off, but the fire keeps going. The inflammation keeps going. In that instance, the mycotoxins are the incendiary thing. They're the thing that starts the fire. But then after they've been detoxed from the body or cleaned out from the body, that inflammation can still keep going. Um, 
mostly when you're looking at the history of SIRS, you're seeing people using the phrase of like mycotoxins really being that that gasoline, that fire starter. Um, but there there has been some research into um, the uh, dried crunchy particles, I guess is the best, the easiest way to say the kind of carbohydrates of the mold bodies kind of triggering an immune system response too. So it's it's a little bit of twofold there. And that's a really great question. Do you know I haven't had anyone ask that question on a podcast before? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have I'm a questioner by <laughs> which is why podcasting is so great for me. But if somebody tells me a con like, you know, every, anytime you answer a question, I have five other questions in my mind. Cause I'm like, wait, <laughs> tell me more about that. Um, but I have to pick and choose. So I'm glad that one was a good one. Um, so, you know, you, you're talking about we we have funguses and things inside of our bodies. Where yeah. does mold live? Like when it gets into us, where is it? Oh, it's everywhere. It's oh. everywhere. But it's not it's not always a bad thing. This is what I'm saying is. There's been all these really cool studies where they've sampled the the microbiome of the mouth, of the nose, of the lungs even, of the blood vessels, of the gut, of the the female reproductive tract, and they have found, you know, aspergillus species, so mold species, but they've also found yeast species like candida. So they're all over and they're all a part of our our body. Um, and it's, it's normal. Where the problem starts is where it becomes pathogenic, where it kind of grows a little bit too much of a population, um, or it starts to be challenged by other things in its environment. So it gets kind of ticked off and spits out its defenses into the environment, which would be the mycotoxins. So it's, it's all over the body. Typically when people work with, you know, um, mold illness, they'll use nasal antifungals or uh, oral antifungals. Um, some of the oral antifungals will stay in the gut. They stay where you put them. Other antifungals will uh, typically go systemic, like into the bloodstream and be delivered to the rest of the body. So, um, and there's, there's some studies out there that show that after use of antifungals, you can potentially have rebound growth. Mm -hmm. um, that potentially sets you off to be in a place worse than where you were before you take the antifungals. So I always encourage people um, to, you know, be thoughtful and be cautious as you navigate using antifungals because A, not only would you potentially be worse off or could be worse off if additional precautions aren't taken, um, but you're potentially also adding to a growing resistance problem that we really, really have right now. Oh, gosh. So what are some of the common symptoms of mold illness? And do those specific symptoms like is because I think a lot of people may be confused when they hear that there could be this wide variety of symptoms. So how do you know if those symptoms are actually because of mold versus something else? I'll be straightforward. You don't. You don't. And that's why it's really helpful to reach out to people and do have someone do a thorough intake and a thorough workup on you. Because my most common symptoms of people who come into my practice is fatigue. 
I mean, you know, right off the bat, that's mm-hmm. like B12, folate, testosterone. So it could be depression. The, the, the list goes on. Um, but the, the most common ones are fatigue, brain fog, and kind of cognitive complaints like, like word recall or um, difficulty uh, with like retention, reading comprehension, following conversation, uh, hormonal issues, and immune system dysfunction. And so <laughs> these things, I laugh because it's, it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous because this can be anything. That can all look like Lyme. That could all look like nutrient deficiency. That could look like other types of toxic exposure. So the difficult part about mold also is it hits all systems of the body because it's nature. So if you think about, you know, the four different ways that we talked about, the allergy, infection, colonization, the mycotoxins, and then that whole inflammatory serous thing. If you think about each one of those and kind of what the underlying issue is with allergies, histamine crosses the blood-brain barrier. That's going to cause fatigue and cognitive issues and immune system imbalances. The mycotoxins certainly will cause all of that because they pass into and out of the nervous system easily. They sit on hormone receptors and it's, um, it's a lot. And then SIRS with that inflammatory component, because the inflammation is involved in every system of the body, of course, is going to be immune system dysfunction. But then that kind of can tie into neurological complaints, again, that fatigue, brain fog, and um, also endocrine complaints, those hormonal issues. So those are really the core ones. There's lots of other ones. But what I tell people is it's not so much what symptoms It's how many. That's just the kind of easiest way to put it. If you have someone who comes in or if you are someone who has like 40 different symptoms or 20 or, you know, even 10 is a a pretty good amount um, and no one can really figure out the component. Could it be a few different things? For sure. You always want rule outs. You always want to get proper medical advice. This is not medical advice. Um, But when you kind of are scratching your head over how many symptoms you have, that might be a reasonable time to think about mold exposure in your life. I just want to take a moment to remind you to go ahead and put on your Blue Blocks glasses. In the last few weeks, there have been days where I don't realize I'm not wearing my blue light blocking glasses while looking at screens. And if I don't have them on while just doing normal stuff, like working on my computer, my phone, And then at night, watching a show with the kids, I am a disaster. I have horrible eye strain, headaches, nausea, and trouble sleeping. This is because blue light is incredibly stimulating and can negatively impact your circadian rhythms. In 2021, I firmly believe proactively filtering out blue light with Blue Block's computer and their Sleep Plus glasses is an absolute necessity. The Blue Block's computer glasses filter out all the harsh blue light we experience when looking at our screens. They're clear. They don't have a color. And then the Sleep Plus glasses block all blue and green light between 400 nanometers to 550 nanometers, which is the exact range that has been shown in clinical trials to disrupt melatonin and negatively impact our sleep. To get our special 15% discount, go to blueblocks.com slash wellfed. That's blueblocks, so B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash wellfed. And then our code is wellfed at checkout. 
these glasses are super high quality. They are comfortable and they are stylish. I don't mind wearing them all day. I don't even realize I'm wearing them. I actually have three pairs because I'm extra, but I, I wanted a spare in case I lost mine, which has actually happened and it was awful. They were actually stuck in the couch cushions. Uh, I love the look of the frames. And if you need helping anything, anything out, just come over to our Well-Fed Women Holistic Health community on Facebook and I can help. Again, that's blueblocks.com slash well-fed and then use our code well-fed for 15% off and you'll get free shipping worldwide. Interesting. So you mentioned that like there can be a lot of different symptoms. It, when somebody comes to you and says, I'm having, you know, these five to 10 symptoms, does that tell you anything about one of the four ways that somebody could be suffering from a moldiness? So if somebody says, well, I have X, Y, and Z thing, are you like, okay, I'm pretty sure that it's because of X. And it's also, bear with me here, it's also because of this type of mold or whatever. Like, are there certain types of, like, when we're kind of digging to the root cause, because it's not what you're saying is it's not just mold. It's it's all, you know, there's a variety of ways in which your body can actually be impacted by mold. So is there some sort of like easy chart where it's like these symptoms pretty much mean you're struggling with this type of mold illness? Yeah. And I love that you separate that out. I love that you uh, specifically was like this type of mold illness versus this <laughs> one, because it, it really does make a difference. Um, I find that more of the neurological and hormonal stuff because, um, you know, our nervous system is mostly fat and our hormones are really have a, a fatty cholesterol backbone. I find that the hormone and neuro stuff tends to be really um, prominent in mycotoxin exposure. Um, and kind of the other things are possible, but those are the major prominent ones. In allergy, you know, respiratory stuff, coughing, dry eyes, sneezing, could there be some brain fog component for sure? Um, rashes, anything that looks like a typical allergy um, could could very well uh, manifest like that. Now, when it comes down to the fungal infection, that's some shades of gray because you can have a little bit of a toxic twist to it. You can have a little bit of an allergic twist and you can have a little bit of an inflammatory twist. So, um and then with SIRS, that chronic inflammatory health issue, that fourth component, that can really just look like an amalgamation of all of them, realistically. So, yeah, I, you know, I always start with mycotoxins because it's the low-hanging fruit. It's the lowest-hanging fruit. And usually if you can help people clear up their fatigue and their brain fog and you can help clean up their hormonal, hormonal issues, you can get a really good um, uh, head start. You know, and for some people, that's all their case. And all we have to do is mycotoxins and they're good. They're out the door and I'm happy to graduate them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but for other people, it's only after you unlock that toxic component that all their other health issues actually start to be um, improvable, like treatments start to stick. Yes, that makes total sense. It's like, yeah, try you actually deal with the the root cause that's like causing whatever inflammation or stress on the body. If you remove that, then you can sort of actually like the things that you're doing to work on other things like digestion and hormones and all that, then it starts to actually work. <laughs> Go right. Figure. Um, right. It's because your body can actually focus on that now, which is really cool. Um, so when somebody comes into your practice or, you know, they give you a call or whatever, or even just like in general, how do people 
like, how are you diagnosing people with mold illness? Because this is another kind of confusing component of this, which is the mm-hmm. testing. So, you know, I know you're also Lyme literate, and that can be really, really, con- like, uh, another really confusing thing where you're like, okay, I think I have Lyme. I think I have these symptoms. I did this test, but now I'm hearing on this podcast that that test isn't really accurate. It doesn't mean anything. And so I feel like people get really defeated when they're like, well, is it mold or not? Because I'm trying to do all these tests and now you're telling me this test isn't right and this test sucks. So what are what's the gold standard and what do you use to diagnose or to basically say, yeah, this is because of mold and mycotoxins? Mm-hmm. So no test is going to be perfect, whether that is a medical test or a test for the indoor built environment. And I'm I'm not even just talking about mold for the medical test. I'm talking about like a lot of our medical tests that exist, ones that are antibody based, things like that. Like they're not they're not perfect, you know, and they've been around for a while. We need better technology. And so there's there's no test that is 100% in the two major things that we worry about when we think about testing, which is specificity and sensitivity. What I mean to say by this is the clinical picture and how someone is feeling and what their exposures are, are such a key component to the diagnosis. And so here's here's the other thing, though. I, I have to be honest with you. The name of my practice is Life After Mold. So people are usually coming in because they've found mold in their home. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's a little bit of a, a, a self-selection and kind of screening there. Um, and so people kind of already have that in their wheelhouse. So I've I've been blessed in a way that people already suspect it. So it's not something that's randomly coming up, um, you know, in my primary care setting or in my health coach setting. I'm like, gee, it could be mold. So when you start to think it could be mold, you can't just rely on testing alone. There is no perfect testing. You need to think about the context of yourself or whomever, um, what's happening in their environment, what foods are they eating, what what type of risks or exposures in these things, and really get clear on that, not only with their current, but also historical timeline. And then after that point, it's reasonable to do a mycotoxin test. Now there's all different mycotoxin tests on the block. None of them are perfect. And the reason why is because it's looking at something that's leaving the body. It was once in the body and now it's coming out. We're catching it in a cup. We're sending it off. We're counting it. It cannot tell us what your specific body burden is. It can only tell us what's coming out. And so how I use that test is um, almost like a, a... a screening, A, to see if a little bit's coming out in the urine. And then I also use it to track people. So if we're starting to uh, support their detox and get them out of exposure, we should see that urine mycotoxin test go uh, elevate a bit because it's leaving the body and then slowly drop off and approach zero, you know? Mm-hmm. So the if you know the question that the test is asking – then you can apply clinical utility to it. Unfortunately, I see so many um, clients who call me in a panic that they've worked with other people and, um, you know, their okra test, okra toxin test is positive. And um, that, 
that can be positive for anyone, depending on the food that you eat. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not so much, again, what's coming out of the test. It's cereal level. So cereal meaning like how, what is happening as we do test one, test two, test three, test four, and finding that pattern. So, um, and also as you're doing that test one, test two, test three, test four, you're also treating the client, you're getting them out of exposure. So not only are you having these change in numbers, but you're also having a improvement in their system. Mm. And so those are kind of the, it's a little bit of an Ouroboros, right? Um, so it's the improvement can let us know that we're on the right track. And if we see the improvement in the test and we see the improvement in them physically, then we know that what we're doing is at least on the right track. So if anyone can tell you that they can diagnose you with mold illness based off of one urine mycotoxin test, you know, just be mindful that there's a bigger truth to it. There really is. I appreciate that because I I think one of the things that is very common in conventional medicine is for symptoms to be dismissed and for there to be some sort of over-reliance on testing. And so it's like, well, if the blood works fine, then, you know, it's not your hormones. You know, so it's it's, it's like people are so quickly quick to say, well, it's not this. I'm feeling all these symptoms of exactly this. But the blood work I just took, you know, my doctor says it's not. And I think that sometimes that completely disconnects us from our body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, women in general have been made to kind of feel like they're crazy for feeling a, a variety of symptoms. Oh, well, you just must be depressed or, oh, you just, you know, you just must be anxious. It's like, no, no, I'm having these symptoms for a reason. And if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, let's actually give the duck a chance. You know, let's let's go see if if that's what it is and do a little bit more than dismiss me with, you know, one blood test or whatever. So I I really appreciate that it's more symptom focused and also let's confirm it over time and let's see if the treatment, you know, works and it we move the needle in a positive light. But, you know, if the symptoms are there, then then let's treat it as let's, you know, look at it further and dig deeper. I have clients who have been seen by um, like 10, 20 physicians. Um, they've been put on antidepressants. They've been mm-hmm. <laughs> they've been totally like gaslit about their symptoms intentionally. I don't know. Like this is such a deep bottomless topic that people don't want to learn about it. I I don't blame them. And the, the data is so we'll talk about the data I'm hoping soon. Um, but the, the data is so limited because it's unethical to expose a human to mycotoxins. So these Mm -hmm. randomized, you know, double blind, placebo control trials that people want, we can't ethically do to people. And so, you know, a lot of this experience um, isn't because, you know, your doctor is bad or they're horrible. It's, it's the system. It's a system that people have been educated in and that's, it's really hard. And hopefully that, you know, we'll be making a change with that, with the, the nonprofit ICI um, that I'm president of, and maybe we can talk about that in a little bit, but to go back to the gaslighting thing. Um, you know, sure. Can medical gaslighting exist? Yes. But 
also being aware of other people who live in your home and family members. They aren't experiencing this, so they're not going to understand it. And unfortunately, that can really isolate people. Um, and then on top of it, you know, the isolation, all the issues that women have had historically, you know, like there's a reason why a hysterectomy has the word hysteria in it. So I, I totally validate where you're coming from on that with like, you know, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, like give the duck a chance. For sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a new meme. Um, I want to jump into some questions from our community because they have a lot of good <laughs> They're bringing up a lot of good points, and it's going to allow us to to dive a little bit deeper. Um, mm -hmm. This one's from Fallon. She says, where to start to determine if mold is truly the root cause of your S issues? Testing seems logical, but do you start with testing the home or your body? If water damage or mold isn't apparent or visible in your home or workplace, it's hard to figure out where to best invest your money to see if this is truly your root cause. Would love to know Dr. Lauren's opinion and where to start. So this is really, this brings up that thing, which is like, wow, lots of testing, lots of money. What do I prioritize? So in your, your opinion, and I'm sure you'll have lots to say, but, you know, do you start with your home or your body or, you know, where do people start to even figure out if this is their root cause? Mm -hmm. And again, this is not medical advice. I'm going to kind of put that out there for people to be aware of. You need to work with a mold literate physician. Um, and so what I will say with this question is there are ways to do this um, and kind of do your own kind of biohacking self-experiment thing to see if it's a lead. One of the first things that people can do is to take some time out of the home or look for what we call periosity. How often are things are happening and in what condition? Uh, do you come home from work on a Friday night, totally brain fog, depleted and exhausted? Saturday, you're kind of funky. Sunday, you feel good. Sunday night, you feel great. 9 a.m. Monday, you go back to work. 11 or noon, you start to drag. The headache starts. The fatigue starts. The itchy eyes, the coughing, the sneezing. So there are ways where you can just pay attention to your ebb and your flow. And if you can get a good grasp on a repetitive thing that's happening outside of your menstrual cycle, outside of your, your circadian 24-hour rhythm, you can really find a correlation. Some people will take that a step further and not just think about the work component, but I want to go see if I can go stay with my sister for two weeks and, you know, she has a big airy home and there's good light and good circulation and ventilation. I want to see if I get a little bit better. And so you can, to a lower cost for sure, um, try these things and look for patterning and periosity. And this doesn't require a medical intervention. It doesn't require anything like that. After you have maybe a little bit of a suspect idea or you know, thinking, really considering that a space might be problematic, it's at that time that um, you might want to have a set of eyes come in and examine the home and examine the space. Um, I have a great video on YouTube uh, called Finding a Good IEP or something along those lines. And it talks about how to find someone, an indoor environmental professional who can come and test your home and someone who's really going to be thorough and um, really 
be aware of um, mold and its health impacts and really how to find the hidden mold because the hidden mold is the problem mold. So, you know, the, that first step of taking yourself out of the situation for a period of time to see is really one of the bigger steps. Now, the one disclaimer I will say is for some people, they feel better out of their home after two hours. That's great. For other people, it can take up to a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, throwing that out there for folks. That is so interesting. It's so simple. I don't know why I never really thought about that, but like take yourself out of your your hmm question mark environment for a short period of time to see how your symptoms, you know, resolve. And from that, what I'm hearing you say is that symptoms will really like become more prominent and like start to really flare when you're in the presence of the mold. Is that true? So um, I'm going to fine tune that statement a little bit more and also put in another disclaimer. After you've been out of exposure and maybe you start to feel a little bit better, be super mindful when you go back into exposure. What's happening after an hour, two hours, three hours? What's happening at the end of the day? Track your symptoms and see. I have seen some people where they step out of exposure and then they go back in and it's like, like a, a, I don't want to say a bum's blown up, but um, they, their body is like high alert. I remember this. I remember this threat. Not this time, buddy. You know, and so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> their, their body will really mount a big stress response to entering back into the space. And so sometimes the symptoms are like really freaking obvious, you know, so um, I always tell people be mindful of that. Um, and then the other thing that I really want to say, too, is sometimes you can be in a really moldy home and you take some time away. You don't necessarily have to go to a perfect place that exists in a vacuum. It doesn't have to be um, you. Heck, you let's just say cladosporium type of mold, usually pretty allergenic, doesn't really make mycotoxins. Let's say your home has some high counts of cladosporium. You go to your sister's house. Is there cladosporium there? Sure. Maybe just a tiny little bit. That reduction enough, even though there's still mold there, could be enough of a change to allow you to see a difference. In another situation, your home has cladosporium. You go to your sister's house. There's no cladosporium. Maybe there's some aspergillus fumigatus, uh, a mycotoxin producer. You go into your sister's home and all your neuro stuff starts happening, like the brain fog, the fatigue, the headache, versus when you were home, it was dry eyes, itchy eyes, you know, sore throat, coughing. So you might feel maybe sick or crappy, excuse my language, to a, a similar severity, but the symptoms are different. And that is another type of lead. Um, So what I encourage people to do is just track, 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 and be mindful and pay attention and collect that data. And heck, if you have to do it a second time, do it a second time, because that's almost, um, you know, proof in the pudding, right? You're Mm -hmm. confirming that experience. That's a symptom journal right there. That is what you right. to say is like you're you're basically filling out an entire journal of day to day symptoms, which is not super uncommon for this community. People are very used to tracking symptoms, you know, based on what are you eating and how what do you how did you sleep and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. gosh, that's just so important. Self-awareness. 
and being able to just tune into what's going on with my body right now is a skill that so many people don't have because they've kind of been taught to tune it out and just to push through and to do X, Y, and Z thing and you'll sleep when you're dead. And really, your body is telling you, giving you, like sending you messages all the time. Or it's the latter that you and I both see is where someone has been so hyper-focused on their symptoms because no one is listening and no one is paying attention. They're not getting the traction that it's, it's, it's just there. It's all encompassing. And Mm -hmm. so what I also like to remind people to do at this time is not just like, um, you know, put a choke hold around tracking the symptoms, but kind of just try to invite a little bit of softness and curiosity and wonder about it of being like, wow, that's different. That's interesting. Because if you add, you know, too much stress or too much um, fear to the process, it just locks up your limbic system. It puts you in that fight or flight. And, you know, you're trying to do this to better yourself and to evolve and to get healthier. And it's so hard to do that in a place of fear. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I'm going to link to, I just found your YouTube. It says finding a good IEP. Um, You recommend an IEP, obviously, I would assume, over any of these like home mold tests, which you can get for $29.99 on Amazon, right? (laughs) Yeah, so here's the deal with that is you put out a Petri dish, and if a spore happens to land in that three-inch diameter plate, it will grow. Granted, if you have tons of spores in a house, you're more likely to catch them on that three-inch plate. But let's say you put it in the wrong spot of the house, or let's say you put it near an open window and spores are blowing in from from outside. So um, you're going to potentially not grow things that are in the home or grow things that you know are potentially not in the home. So I encourage people to really work with a professional Um, but make sure you call them and just get a good personal read on them. Try to really connect with them because that's usually where the rubber meets the road because they might not be perfect, but if they're committed to helping people, that can be enough of a shoe in for you to be like, Hey, can you do this one extra thing for me? I'm happy to pay for it. X, Y, Z. So, um, it really also has to do with finding someone who is motivated to serve and also resonates with you because that will get you even farther if this is a new frontier uh, for an IEP for someone who is uh, mold sensitive. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, This is from Steph. Uh, She says, I'm currently battling this. I feel like I'm living with an unnamed invisible chronic illness. Beyond mold, we're seeing estrogen dominance, adrenal fatigue, candida, SIBO, Despite checking the boxes, doing everything right, including clearing protocols, I don't see much of any relief. It's so hard putting in so much effort to correct imbalances without any improvements. I guess my any question would be, can mold really trigger this cascade of seemingly disconnected issues? Can mold prevent healing or other imbalances that are otherwise fairly simple to resolve? Mm-hmm. And so this really goes back again to the the conversation, the part of the conversation that you and I had of, mm-hmm. you know, these mycotoxins can really permeate through the systemic circulation of the body. And then they can hit pretty much every organ system, but they really like to hang out in fat involved organ system, nervous system, liver, um, kidneys, um, and our, our hormonal system. So all of those touch 
more or less every single system. If you sit back and think about it, you know, it's like, it's, um, it's like a six degrees of separation thing. Like everything yeah. can be connected. Um, so have, have I seen that before Steph? Um, I have, do I know if that's your particular situation? I, I don't, um, just because I, I don't know you as a client and I don't want to, you know, endanger you by being like, yeah, it's all mold. Like clearly, <laughs> and this is another thing I want to be super clear about with people is you need your rule outs. You know, there are things that look a lot like mold that could be like MS and mm. you really want to make sure that you are jumping through the hoops and going to the allopathic kind of Western medical establishment to get your rollouts, get the boxes checked. And then after that, you know, then consider mold because it, it's just, we don't want to endanger anyone. You know, we really want everyone to stay safe. So, yeah, I like your, uh, your bro voice. It's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. It. yeah. I do that all the time. I'm like, yeah, I mean, whatever. So, uh, rapid fire, um, questions is, sure. it, which I'm pretty sure we know the answer to these, but we got, we got a few questions. This is from Elizabeth. She says, can mold exposure cause digestive issues? Uh, okay. I love this one. So let's close our eyes. Let's zoom into the, the, the GI tract, right? Hollow tube food passes through, we can have mold on our food. We can have mycotoxins on our food. We can also have um, fungi existing in our biofilms, in our microbiome. Since you can be uh, exposed to mold and have allergic issues, you could have some like allergy inflammation in the gut. Uh, moreover, these mycotoxins, they're toxic to other bacteria. So you could have kind of dysbiosis and uh, gut flora issues as a result of those mycotoxin exposures. Moreover, the literature also shows that mycotoxins degrade and break down those gap junctions, which is kind of the staples between the cells that line our gut. And as soon as you break open those, you're going to create what kind of looks like a leaky gut picture. And, you know, then you have your typical leaky gut thing springing up. So, yes, great question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does This is the second one. This one's from Amanda. She says, does mold toxicity play a role in weight gain? Oh, this is another good one. This is a really, really good one. So um, people who are familiar with SIRS might be familiar with the concept of um, leptin. And according to uh, Richie Shoemaker, you'll have leptin resistance in hmm. SIRS. But what we have also seen is that we have seen issues with weight gain with mycotoxins because of the leptin component, but then soon as you get that visceral fat, we have an increase in aromatase. And aromatase is a little enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen. So what you start to see is this bit of a feed forward mechanism of sure, can weight gain uh, be involved in mycotoxins? Yes. And then we see this like forward endocrine disruption, push forward forward and uh, endocrine disruption as a result of the spike in aromatase. I think when people think weight gain, they always think fat. I mean, there's so many people walking around with 20 pounds of water and inflammation. Mm. You know, we see that when we put people on the elimination diet, right? Mm -hmm. You put on the elimination diet, they drop a whole mess of water weight, their body balances out, and you're kind of like, oh my gosh, that wasn't 
fat at all. That was, that was water and inflammation. So maltoxicity can also put a lot of inflammation into the body and cause a lot of that uh, water weight gain from what I've seen with my clients. Yeah. The last question is from Linz, and she says, I know everyone is different, but what is an average time for healing from mold illness? And then she also says, what are some unlikely places that mold hide? You know, Linz, you're right. (laughs) Everyone is totally different. I've had people who have just frank mycotoxicity recover in three months. Those are like the like, oh, okay, great. Move on. It was nice knowing you. I'm here if you need me. Congratulations. Thumbs up. But then there are other people who maybe they were mold exposed or longer, or maybe they have clogged up detox pathways, or maybe um, their genetics for their phase one and phase two detox pathways are wonky or sluggish, or I mean, there's so many reasons. And that's just the toxic component. There is no average time. And so if you're thinking about the toxic component, we have all of those implications, how full their toxin cup is, et cetera. But the other issue that I find really impacts how long it takes for people to recover is if they're still in exposure. I can't even tell you how many times that we have found a hidden exposure, um, you know, a, a year in. Is it your car? Oh, you brought your mattress with you? I thought you didn't bring your mattress with you. <laughs> like all these little like hidden things. I, I've seen people who do it perfectly, you know, they, they stick the landing and it takes them two to three years. I've seen people who stick the landing and it takes them, you know, three months. So it's so different. And then unfortunately, the the question of like, where does mold hide? I don't, I don't know if you mean in the body or in the built environment, but what I will suggest, since we already talked about um, the body and it being all over, if you head to my website, I have a e-booklet called Mold Prevention 101. You get it when you sign up for my mailing list. I don't spam people. I promise it's like 10 emails a year. Um, and in that document, it walks through the built environment saying like, hey, you know, check your the, the holes that lead to the exterior of your house, what's happening with French drains and all these types of things. So that might be helpful for you. And again, I'm not an IEP, an indoor uh, environmental professional. I'm not a building hygienist by any means. Um, but, you know, some people have found that document really helpful because where there is hidden water, there could potentially be hidden mold. And hidden water doesn't have to be standing pooling water on the basement floor. It can be a sweating pipe that's in a wet wall. You know, it, it can be so many different things. So um, I, I hope that document can be of help to you, including other people. But that's it's a really great question. Yeah, so we'll link to that free ebook again. It's Mold Prevention 101, so that all of you guys can download that because there's obviously a ton more questions that I think are going to be more specific and individual, like, you know, exactly where does mold hide and what do I need to do and all the things. So we'll link to that. Talk to me, Dr. Lauren, about um, what else you're doing because I know that you're also work, you're, you founded a nonprofit and you also are taking clients now virtually, which I think is really awesome because for a long time, people would be suffering and would just have to try to find a doctor somewhere around them that (laughs) would help them. But now, you know, people can actually work directly with you who are at the end of the rope. And I I do know of, you know, personal friends who've worked with you too. So yeah, talk to me about that. 
Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. So I, I work with a nonprofit called ICI. So C as in the ocean. So I-S-E-A-I, the International Society for Environmentally Acquired Illness. What we do is we're a professional educational nonprofit and we, we educate professionals about mold illness, how to approach it. Um, we have a really dynamic community of people from all walks, from MDs to DOs to DCs to health coaches. Everyone's welcome because we're really trying to foster a profound community connection and really just get the word out so that way we can have a big sea change for the people that we need to help. So ICI is phenomenal. I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, and we have some really, really cool documents that will be um, in the works coming up um, that I think will be a really big service to the community at large. As for myself, my practice, Life After Mold, sees people in two different capacities. People can be seen with their butt in the seat and be seen medically in office and meaning, you know, they're an established patient. Otherwise, I can do educational consults with people where you work with your local doctor and you kind of put the pieces together to specifically tailor it to you. But what I'm doing in that uh, aspect is kind of answering the questions you have about, you know, mold illness, theoretical approaches, um, how your physician could be of help to you, um, how to find even the help that you need. Um, so yeah, those are pretty much the um, two major things I do. I also um, happen to do consults with professionals. So if people are kind mm -hmm. of stuck with a client, I do professional to professional consults. And I also do uh, lectures and in talks, although most of them have been virtual <laughs> in the last year or two. Um, I do, I have been associated with a, a few uh, associations giving lectures on the intersection of mold and health, all things. So very cool. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lauren, for answering all these questions and for just being such a great resource. I so appreciate you being here. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy. And hopefully, you know, if there ever is a next time, there's so much more to tell you about I with know. hormones and mold. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that maybe um, we could chat about that if there is a next time. But thank you so much for this opportunity. It means the world. And I really um, hope that we, we were able to help some people with this one. Thank you. Yes, I know. I know it, it will. And we'll definitely do a part two because I feel like, you know, most of the time, these podcasts only scratch the surface. But um, right. so lifeaftermold.com, you can find more from Dr. Lauren there. She's also on Instagram at lifeaftermold. I follow her there. That's where you can keep in touch with what she's doing daily. Um, for more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thanks so much for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week.